I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. On this podcast, I explore topics in digital marketing for jewelry designers and retailers, including branding, content, email, events, social media, and more. This is episode 56, and today I'll be sharing my interview with Kathleen Cutler, founder of Bespoke Commerce and CEO of Kathleen Cutler Strategy. Kathleen helps high-end jewelers bring more money into their businesses by using sales strategies and systems that are easy for her clients to learn and maintain. I first met Kathleen in person at the most recent Jewelry Ecom Live in Miami, where she was also a presenter and spoke about how jewelry business owners can use technology without losing the human connection with customers. I was immediately impressed by her vast knowledge of sales optimization strategies for jewelry brands. In addition, her client case studies blew my mind. While one of her clients saw $14,367 in new sales in one month, another saw an increase of 48% year over year and a 96% increase in average order value. And those are just a few of many examples. I had so much fun picking her brain for over an hour on this episode. So grab some popcorn because you're about to learn so much about improving your sales. In this episode, we discuss topics like how does she begin the process of assessing a new client's needs and then getting them on track? Why do jewelry brands need to shift the way they think about and execute sales? What are some of the most common mistakes that jewelry brands make when it comes to sales and marketing? How can jewelry brands consistently maintain an element of human touch when communicating with customers? Customers, even if they're communicating digitally. What's the deal with millennials? Why should jewelry brands care about reaching this generation? What's her favorite client success story? And what are some strategies that jewelry brands can start implementing next year? And what can they do to distinguish themselves? Without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Kathleen. What first attracted you to the jewelry industry? And how did you get your start? Yeah, so it's a really great question and one I love so much. So when I really reflect on my entire career, but certainly my entire life, uh, I was always drawn to jewelry. So as a young kid, I remember being eight and sitting in my room and spreading out my seed beads in their little containers in my childhood bedroom on my blue rug and putting on a CD and spending hours beading uh, bracelets and, you know, intricate seed bead creations. I love and that. one of my, uh, <laughs> did you do that as well? Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of my very favorite pictures has me wearing a, um, you know, big beaded necklace. So I just really was always drawn to it. And when my husband um, designed our engagement ring, we got engaged and he worked with a local designer and picked out the center stone, which is a star sapphire and had in, used two diamonds from his grandmother's earrings, like beautiful rose cut diamonds and surprised me with it. And, you know, I said, yes, you know, got uh, to the chase. I accepted his engagement. <laughs> and then we went to the designer's studio and I um, was just blown away by the technical elements of her studio. She was a goldsmith. So the technical elements, but then the design elements and I've always been a really visual person. So I've always loved to imagine things and love to build things. So just that combination for me was so exciting. Okay, we can design and then it comes to life. 
So like everything in my life, I went full in and bought a full silversmithing setup, um, created a little studio in our basement apartment at that time and thought I wanted to become a designer. So I started taking classes and I actually got an apprenticeship doing um, a production line for a handmade jewelry brand based out of Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, and she had one brick and mortar store at the time and then expanded to three. So I spent about two years on her bench. So restoring antiques, um, doing some design work, everything in her store was handmade or a restored antique. So really part of a very busy production studio. And what I learned through that experience was I actually really liked organizing jewelers and organizing creatives more than the design process. So I was the one who was like, oh, we need to order from Stellar. Let's actually create a spreadsheet or uh, let's keep track of our engagement ring progress by having, you know, basically a Kaban board on the the wall so we can see exactly where each piece of the puzzle is. Mm-hmm. So I really have to laugh, you know, again, looking back at my career, I have to laugh at myself because I went into it thinking I wanted to be a creative and a designer, but really what I wanted to do was organize them and help bring their business to life and get them back designing and back doing what they want to do, which is really become that artist and really maintain that artist integrity and vision and design and new collections and help them do that in a way that's sustainable. So that's really where I got my foot in the door. And then from there in the industry, so that was almost 10 years ago at this point, I went on to, I really realized I also liked selling. So we would make the jewelry and then on the weekends I would work in the store. So I actually realized I liked that much more. And because I knew what went into each piece, because I had been part potentially of the design process, but certainly the sourcing the stones, I could really stand behind the counter and tell someone why this Labradorite was so amazing because it's so hard to find matching Labradorite. And I know because I went through, you know, 50 stones to find these two. Right. So it really also showed me the power of story and what the consumer is really hungry for, you know, especially now. That's amazing. It's so cool how your initial passion for jewelry and designing led you on this path that allowed you to discover, you know, new skills that you had that you didn't even really anticipate using before. It's really cool how that all came together. Exactly. And, you know, when I look back on my, you know, my, I have a degree from a university in business and literature. So I've always had this kind of right brain, left brain piece. And I think what I really bring to my clients is I understand where they're coming from. I understand that they're creatives and they see the world in a specific way. And I can come in with my business acumen and support them in that way. And now I'm behind the scenes for, you know, multi-million dollar jewelry brands and really helping them you know, continue that creative process, but also do it in a really smart, strategic way that leads, you know, certainly to more sales. So at what point did you realize that e-commerce jewelry brands need business mentoring beyond the, the business that you had gotten your start with? And when did you start to understand how your knowledge and expertise could really help them and help other brands? And what was your first experience helping a jewelry brand grow? How did that all come together? Yeah. So it's such a fun question. And, you know, I would say the the very first brand was more from the bench, like very organically helping that business grow. Again, they went on to have three locations and, you know, quite successful in, in the area. My next role was at a uh, antique and estate jewelry company. So this brand had, um, it was 2014, they had five brick and mortar locations. So Uh, locations all over. And I was in one of the shops and we actually started um, the e-commerce end of things. So we actually started on Etsy and um, hit seven figures within our first year and replaced two of our physical locations. Wow. 
<laughs> online. So it was really amazing, especially because we could, you know, like I know a lot of the listeners out there and a lot of the brands you work with, this is a dream for them because you don't have to double your inventory, right? If we think of five brick and mortar locations, we had probably, we had 10,000 items online. We probably had a hundred thousand items in stores. Mm -hmm. So when we opened up our online, again, quote unquote, online store, we didn't have to then have another 10,000 items to populate that store with. Yes. We really just so could open up. Locations? What was that? You actually closed those locations? No, no, those are still there. And actually, you know, we'll get into this conversation much further because it's actually what I learned through this experience was that um, people think about online incorrectly. If they have brick and mortar locations, it's really much more circular, the buyer's journey now, mm -hmm. um, because we would have people who would browse online and then come into to our physical location to potentially close the deal or they browse in store and then go online and then come in store and it's just so much more circular now. So it's really, really fun. Um, and we'll, I'll touch on this a little bit later. And so basically we were tasked with, you know, okay, we had this success on Etsy. Let's replicate it with our own website. So 2014, there weren't a lot of resources like there are today. So, you know, I remember discovering abandoned cart, you know, technology where they could piece of software could automatically send out an email based on an abandoned cart and we recovered it and they bought. And I just remember jumping around the studio so excited that that had happened because that's a big deal. As a lot of the listeners will know, when you, the more abandoned carts you can recover, the better. There are still people trying to figure out abandoned carts. So. <laughs> well, I've got stuff to tell them about abandoned carts. Um, when I was tasked with this big question, you know, we had launched a website, it had taken us a year plus to launch. What, how do we get more bodies in the store? We felt like if more people would just discover us and walk through our online store, and if you could see me, I'd say, quote unquote, walk through, but browse, we felt like that would lead to more purchases. So that's when I really got into the world of paid advertising and mass email marketing. And I really spent the next three years diving deeper into that world. So I had some amazing successes. Um, one of my clients, Jay Hannah Jewelry, actually saw a 54 times return on investment, turning less than $400 into nearly $20,000. And I have a whole case study, you know, bucket full of results like that, turning 5,000 into 100,000. Really amazing results through paid advertising. Yeah. But not, not everyone saw those results. So I would have some total rock stars, and then I would have people who were spending, you know, vacation-worthy down payment amounts of money every month on paid advertising and just not seeing the results that they wanted. Mm -hmm. So this question really lodged in my mind, does anyone need more traffic? Or when people came to me wanting more traffic, you know, the subtext that you and I both know is they actually wanted more sales. So I felt like I, in a way, I was kind of contributing to like the metric, like the vanity metric world that you and I both know of, you know, if I just got 100,000 Instagram followers, then my business problems would be solved. If I just got more people to browse my website, then that would lead to more sales. And over the past year, what I've really shifted, and this actually goes back to, you know, the original business I worked with, they were so successful because they had really deep relationships online. We had people who would come back and it was antique and estate. So they would come back again and again and again to purchase, um, sometimes even in the same month, because it's, you know, a bit of a buying frenzy for antique. It's one of a kind pieces. So I really was... This question has been in my mind for the past really seven years of do we need more traffic or do we actually need people who've already bought from us before 
to buy from us again. So I've really been now implementing with my clients, how can we, I like to say, eat the lowest hanging fruit first. How can we um, basically turn the traditional e-commerce funnel, which just says, if you get more traffic, it'll lead to more leads, which will lead to more sales on its head and instead reverse it and say, okay, if we actually just re-engage with our top 20% of clients, really get to know them, invite them back in again and again, get to know their tastes, make sure that you know they're always continuously purchasing with us, they feel really taken care of. If we do that first, and we have a really clear understanding of the lifetime value of a client that annually they spend about this much, we do these things to make sure that happens then we can start to add more traffic into a store because then at that point, you know, hey, it's worth $100,000 for me to get a new client. The last podcast episode I did, I actually talked, uh, it was Halloween themed and I talked about the most spooky mistakes that jewelry brands make. And one of my top ones was alienating your past customers Mm -hmm. because it's, and I'm sure you know this, you probably know this data even more than I do. Uh, like acquiring a new customer is five times as expensive as retaining an existing customer. That's just crazy. Like if you're not courting your past customers and maintaining a relationship with them, that's just, it's silly. You're losing business. Exactly. And, you know, I think it's this, um, you know, what I like to, an exercise I usually bring my clients through when we're picturing their online stores is um, you want, you don't need strangers to walk through and bother you with questions and, you know, ask the same thing over and over again. But imagine how much your eyes light up when one of your favorite customers walks through the door. You know, it's the difference between having someone you feel like maybe will purchase, maybe won't purchase. Of course, we always need new clients. Like this isn't to say we don't want new clients at all. But the difference of having someone you know, you know their taste, you know they spend, you know, five figures very easily and they don't come back and try to return it the next day. Just that level of trust you already have with your existing clients. Working with them is just such a different um, success model to really cultivate those relationships and invite them back in. So that's really where my business has shifted from my first experiences of, okay, we just need more traffic, more, more, more to really, okay, who are the top 20% of your clients and how can we create beautiful experiences with them so they first buy from you and then tell their friends and then let's pour gasoline on with paid traffic more, more, more. So Kathleen, I mean, that all sounds really great. So what are some of the strategies that you advise your clients to do in order to maintain relationships with those past customers? I, it's such a good question. And I have some resources on my website, uh, actually an ebook that you can link to uh, that people could download that goes through these strategies a little bit more depth. But I think the first one is really understanding those top clients. So really having a working knowledge of your top 20 clients and organizing them in a certain way, right? Like knowing that they are either in your point of sale system and quite identified, knowing they're in your CRM, your uh, customer relationship management tools, and having just really having knowledge about your top customers, making sure again, if you have a brick and mortar store, or if you are a designer who has quite a big team, that everyone knows who these people are. So you, if you have staff turnover, you're not losing that um, institutional knowledge. You're re- maintaining that. You know, it's really old school what this is, like what this concept is. It's like a Rolodex of your best clients or a little black book, uh, a book of sales. Like it's called so many different things throughout the ages. And I think now more than ever, and we'll go into a little bit later about millennials in particular, but I think now more than ever, it's imperative to really know your top clients and treat them 
like they are the VIPs they are, that they're really paying your bills. You know, if you start to identify your top clients, you might find they make up a huge percentage of your sales. And if you're like some of the clients I work with, you might find that if you've had a good client and they're just really happy and they love your stuff and they never complain, you actually might not talk to them very much versus your squeaky wheel people who always want to return or exchange or modify or something like that. Like they're kind of taking up all of your time and your VIP clients aren't getting any of your time. So really understanding who your top clients are is the first step. So if that means just even taking a notebook, going through some past sales, I've got, I have clients that I do this process with, and they actually end up opening bankers boxes of, um, past paper slips, you know, that's certainly not uncommon. I've had a client right now who actually lost a lot of that. She's in California and actually had a fire around her house. So lost a lot of those documents, but really finding those top clients, even if it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, I just had a client actually reach out to a person she hadn't sold to in eight years and just sold a piece to that person. They hadn't spoken in eight years. This person was so excited to hear from them. So it doesn't matter really how far back you're going, but really identifying those top 20 clients. So what I recommend my, the jewelry brands I work with is find around 60, you know, 20 to 80 of your top clients that you can commit to having a more intimate relationship with. So more one-to-one you know, marketing or one-to-one personalized emails where you're really understanding them, getting to know their tastes and what they are really looking to see from you. So that's the first thing. And so part of it is kind of catching up with what's happened in the past. And then the second thing is really making a plan for the future. So once you've caught up with all your people, once you have a strategy around what I like to call really, you're sitting on a gold mine, how can you mine some of that gold? How can you re-engage with your past best clients? And I have some strategies, you know, that are probably too long to really talk about right now, but I, on my website, have a little live chat so you can chat with me and I can tell you a little bit more about them um, because they can be as simple, you know, and I guess I'll talk about one because we're, this will air before the holidays. Certainly um, if you find some of these top best clients, you could just invite them in to meet with you to create a wish list. If, you know, if they're typically buying for their spouse, you could say, Hey, I know what, Sally wants for Christmas this year and make a suggestion. Like typically you're sitting on such a wealth of information and now it's just doing some matchmaking between the information you have and really facilitating a beautiful experience for, um, for the customer on the other end. That's so smart. I mean, it seems kind of like a no brainer thing, but I guess a lot of jewelry brands aren't doing it. Do you have any idea why there might be resistance or why more people aren't taking advantage of these opportunities? I do. I have a lot of thoughts on this. And actually, because I speak with so many people, so many jewelry brands, I actually get to hear kind of their objections. And I'd say it's usually one of two things. The first being, I don't want to bug them. You know, Mm -hmm. there's kind of this, I don't want to bother them. You know, they're busy people. And I actually have a a friend and a colleague who um, is, you know, quite successful in her work. She runs a million dollar business on track to do $3 million actually has a quarterly budget for buying beautiful things. So she's got like a line item to buy gorgeous things. She has a favorite jewelry store. She's in, she's Dutch. So favorite jewelry store in Holland, bought her engagement ring there, all of her pieces. She's always like loved it, walked right by. And I was telling her about this process I developed with my customers. And she was like, wait, I'm so sad right now. Like I'm so bummed. If my jeweler reached out to me in these ways, I would love it. 
like imagine how many more pieces she would have purchased. Imagine how seen, felt, and acknowledged she really would have been. And imagine how like, you know, I just think of this as like such a slam dunk for husbands or partners who love to buy beautiful jewelry. (laughs) But I think the jeweler feels like it's bothering them, but it's really, um, you know, you have to plan it out. It can't be like, Hey, buy this item. It has to be strategically thought about in like a beautiful way. So it's really coming from a place of service. Yeah. But it's also kind of recognizing that this has always been the way of business, especially luxury business has happened. Like if you think of a lot of clients I work with have multi-generational businesses. And this is what their grandparents were doing. You know, their grandparents were knowing birthdays, anniversaries, important milestones, picking up the phone and saying, hey, Sal, I've set something aside for you. You know, come in when you're ready. Or like, hey, would you like to see this? We just got a new shipment in. So it's now the medium is just changing slightly and you have to rethink of how it's being executed. But the ethos is the same. It's how can you be of such a place of service for your clients that you're anticipating their needs. You are on the other end of things. So I'd say that's really the first objection I feel like people have. Oh, I don't want to bother them. Do you have anything to add there? Well, I'm just thinking a lot of the examples that you mentioned are more like clients that have, you know, huge budgets. Like you mentioned this woman who has her own business that she's making $3 million. And it seems like you're talking a lot about high-end luxury. I personally, I have clients that are still fine jewelry, but a lot of them are at lower price points. And I'm just wondering if this same strategy can apply to them also. Yeah, I would certainly say. So it's really just, you know, especially at that lower fine jewelry price point, it's knowing your very best clients and anticipating what they might be interested in. So, you know, if you have, you know, if you're selling, you know, potentially engagement rings, maybe $5,000 and under engagement rings. Um, And then are you always making sure you're working on that wedding band set with your clients? Like, do you have a strategy to make sure that's happening? After that, do you have a strategy to make sure you're inviting them in for bridal jewelry? And then after that, first year anniversary jewelry, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, 10th, et cetera. Do you have a strategy around gifting around holidays or Mother's Day or uh, Valentine's Day, just all these places where you can be supporting your very best customers and making it really easy and really almost a personal concierge experience. So it's a super great question. That actually leads me to the second point, which is people feel like they don't have enough time to do this, which is something I hear all the time. That the uh, business owners don't feel like they have enough time? Yeah, exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, this seems like, oh my gosh, Kathleen, you're asking me to do one more thing and you don't even know my list is so long already. And I do know, you know, I've definitely sat on either a jeweler's bench or I've sat, you know, kind of on the marketing side of things. And I know that the list can be so, so long and, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Facebook stories and Instagram stories and paid advertising. And I've got to send out a newsletter, just all these things. And while that's so important, it's so important to be always marketing and, you know, using the megaphone of like getting more people and making your, sure your message is being heard in a big way. It's also so important to be having these one-to-one conversations. So, you know, it's like um, a whisper or like a, you know, talking one-to-one type of thing versus a megaphone. And I think it's so easy to just focus all of our time and effort on the megaphone 
strategy, which is just, you know, if I speak most loudly, if I get the most traffic in, like kind of saying what my career was first, you know, really hung my hat on was more, more, more traffic, more likes, more followers. And while that's amazing, it's really, if you can, again, choose your top 20% of your clients, be that 20 people, be that 60 people that you just are committed to keep in touch with on a different level, it's actually quite easy. It's actually, once you templatize it and make it, you know, once you have tasks to remind you to do it, it just, it can add, you know, 10 minutes to your day, but it's really refocusing on like those sales revenue goals and what actually, what's my quickest way to cash? Like, that's what I'm always asking my clients. What's your quickest way to cash? Is it more Instagram followers or is it keeping in touch with people who've already purchased from you? And the answer is always, it's keeping in touch with people who've already purchased from you. So it's a nice way to kind of like think about it when people say, oh, I don't have time to do this. It's like, well, where can you identify places where you could maybe dial back the effort in some other elements and really amplify the effort in, um, in the sales, sales realm? I think that's a really good point and something that uh, jewelry brands should really remember because I think it's super easy to get caught up in kind of these habits of posting on social media. And I'm calling them habits because I think we stop thinking about them after a while and they just become natural, but not maybe in the best way because we see that other people, other brands are doing that. So we, we also need to do that in order to like keep up with the Joneses, as they say. But if that effort is not resulting in sales, then you may not want to keep putting your effort there. You may want to try something different. And so your path to sales doesn't have to look like someone else's. Someone else might have great success on Instagram, but if that's not where you're getting your clients, then don't put so much effort there. I think 100%. And I think I always want to caution people, and I'm sure you run into this with your work as well, is um, what percentage of time that you're on social media are you there in a strategic way? Or did you just lose 25 minutes to scrolling through and liking other people's beautiful jewelry? Um, You know, are you on there to interact with past clients and like their things and really create like a kind of buzz around your brand and ask for your past clients to post photos and then that you post those photos and people like it and you're interacting in that way? Or are you just kind of in a mindless scroll? And as you're saying, just kind of going through the motions of, oh, I have to post every day. So now I'm going to post this. And it takes you a half hour to even think of what to say and really go through all those different things. So I'm a huge fan personally of like time diaries and really understanding where my time goes because I can sit at my desk all day and be like at the end of the day, oh my gosh, what did I even do? So really looking at some of those things and again, refocusing your effort on what is my quickest way to cash? What is the way that will bring in the most money? So then either I can, you know, outsource social media. I could hire someone to help me do production. I could hire, you know, someone to do all these different things. And again, it's really, at the end of the day, you know, people have come to me and they, I want more traffic. I want more likes. If more people just engage with my photos, it'd be great. And really the thing under the thing is they want more sales. So how, what's the quickest way to get there? It's usually, and even if you are just getting started, you've probably already sold a few things. That's probably why you have gotten started. You know, either you have, if you do direct, you know, if you're more of a wholesaler, can you focus on your top wholesale accounts? You know, again, just 
look at the top 20% of your wholesale accounts and how can you work with them in a more individual way where you're understanding what they want, you're making sure they're reordering, you're taking exquisite care of them. Maybe you fly out and do a trunk show. Mm-hmm. You're really, you know, letting them know that you appreciate them, you have their needs in mind, you're really working with them in a way that your biggest, you know, your lowest volume customers just can't have that same level of attention. You can't do this across your entire business. I mean, amazing if you can. And my hope would be, you know, your people who spend the least, your wholesale who spend the least eventually become, you know, kind of your biggest fish. But it's really this idea of how can we really cultivate what we already have instead of always feeling like we just are on this quest for more. Yeah, I can also see how it would be challenging in that it requires a person to maybe think outside the box, especially if they've been doing something the same way for many, many, many years. (laughs) They have to shift a little bit. And I think that that's hard for a lot of people. Totally. And then when they see the results, they're like, oh, okay, like we could do this. Like this would totally work. Like I've had, you know, I was telling you, right. Before I had a client who just reached out to um, someone she hadn't sold to in eight years and just got another sale, you know, so there's, um, there's so much potential here. And especially once you really start to identify your best clients and create um, like buzz around them and really a simple strategy to get them back in the door again and again, but it is, it's a bit of a shift of, um, and I think fine jewelry, like just the rules don't quite apply. Like, you know, we have so much now information about e-commerce and information about paid advertising and information about marketing for e-commerce. And I feel like jewelry is always a niche within that. And then fine jewelry is a niche within that as well. So rarely will someone, you know, visit your website from Instagram and click buy on, you know, a $1,200 piece, a $5,000 piece, a $30,000 piece, there'll almost always be a conversation that happens in between someone discovering you and actually purchasing from you. And it's really, um, how can you use that to your advantage as a jeweler? And how can you have some systems in place where you are always responding in a really beautiful way? You're always moving, you know, that conversation closer to a sale um, is a really interesting thing to think about as well. So this all sounds really great. I'm wondering, what is your process like and how do you get started with assessing a new client's needs and then getting them on track? Yeah, so I love that question. And it's really, I do what, you know, what I was referring to, which is called mining for, you know, for gold. And sometimes it's inbox gold. Sometimes it's, you know, point of sale gold. Sometimes it's pieces of paper or notebook gold. But it's really helping my clients identify those top 20% of their their staff or their um, clients rather, not staff. So really making sure those clients, your existing clients, again, remember this isn't new clients, this isn't the strategy to start, but looking at your existing clientele and inviting them back in. So, you know, a lot of the, the clients I work with um, sell engagement rings. And is that similar for your audience? Are there a lot of fine jewelers selling, you know, engagement rings as well? I have kind of a mix, but some of them do sell bridal. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you're, you know, if you have a bridal uh, on your books and you're doing engagement rings or alternative engagement rings, it's really looking at how can you invite those customers in for an initial quick win. So, you know, I, the way I work with my clients is we, we go work this way to cash. It's let's look at your list and let's figure out a way to invite these people back in right away. So if it is bridal, can you invite them in for a ring cleaning? So all of a sudden they've either come into your brick and mortar store or you're meeting them um, or they're sending the ring back to you potentially if you're a designer who's out of state. 
and you're just checking it over, um, making sure everything's in good shape. So that's really good for you anyway. And then, you know, otherwise, if it's more of a, um, another piece, you're making a suggestion for their next piece in their collection. So, you know, say you sold, you know, a beautiful pair of earrings to them. And now you're just coming out with maybe a new design for the holidays that you think they might like. So again, you have your list of, you know, 60 people, 80 people who've been these top buyers from you, and you're starting to match them to what they might be interested in next, because people love to buy. They don't like to be sold to, but they love to buy. So if you can facilitate this experience, you can, you know, have really excited, loyal customers. So, you know, for someone who had bought that beautiful pair of earrings, you know, maybe they bought it in Sapphire and you've just designed it, um, something new in white topaz. You say like, Hey, Hey Sally, like, I hope you've been great. It's been so exciting to see the photos you've been updating about, you know, the earrings. Again, that should be part of your like ongoing strategy as you're always getting social proof from your, your people who buy. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, we just, these literally just came off the bench. Here's a picture attached. Do you want me to send you a quick, a quick video of them or something along those lines? So, you know, that, you know, again, you don't need a brick and mortar location. If this is happening, you certainly don't need um, to send them this piece, but you are saying, Hey, I was thinking of you and this piece just came out. So it's really matching your best customers to some of the pieces you already have. And this is really amazing for the holidays in particular. Um, so if you have, you know, more partners emails, so if you've done bridal or if you've sold gifts before, you know, maybe to husbands or different uh, partners, you can go to those people and say like, Hey, Paul, um, I know we did this, you know, beautiful antique engagement ring for Sally. I've got this, you know, Georgian pair of diamond earrings that I think she might love. Uh, do you want me to send you a video of them? Um, I could just wrap them up too and send them over to you, you know, and really the response we see, Lara says, wild are like, oh my God, thank you. I didn't know what to get them for the holidays or their birthday or their anniversary. Like, thank you so much. Yeah. If you can make someone's life easier. <sighs> They appreciate it very much. I appreciate it so much. So it's really, that's my first step. So my first step is really finding your best clients and finding a way that feels really mutually beneficial to bring, to re-engage that relationship. So, you know, the kind of bigger piece of my strategy is always having, you know, over the f- first year and then beyond making sure you're reaching out to your best clients around every three months in a personal way. But if you haven't been doing that, no worries. Like that example of my client who reached out to someone eight years later and, you know, just got a sale. (laughs) It's never too late. It's never too late. And I think about that with my engagement ring. Like I, my engagement ring needs work as like every jeweler's things do. I need to just drop it off at a fellow jeweler's, you know, studio. But I went to see, I went to find her information of who had designed it and I couldn't find her website. I didn't have any email correspondence with her. Um, and you know, because they're rose cut diamonds, it was like kind of a technical piece and I wanted her to fix it, but she had never kept up with me. So if she sent me an email, I've been engaged now and married for 10 years. If she had sent me an email, even this year and said, Hey, Kathleen, like, or, you know, to my husband, I've got a set of earrings. I think Kathleen might like, it would be like, Oh my God, we're so happy to hear from you. A, we need some help with our ring. You didn't keep up with us, but two, yes, I'd love to buy those. Yeah. Um, so it's never too late. So that's really the the first thing we do with my clients. And then what we work through is, all right, we've done this kind of triage of, 
you know, initiating the conversation with your best clients. Now, how can we make sure that every sale over a certain amount, whatever kind of puts them into that sphere for you where they become the top 20%, be that they spend, you know, 7,000 or more, they spend 30,000 or more, they spend 100,000 or more, you know, or they spend 1,200 or more, or they buy multiple times, whatever kind of kicks them into their, your top tier of clients, creating that system for them that makes sure they are coming back to you, you know, throughout the first year, but again, over their lifetime, people who've bought want to buy again. Like they really do like so much research and we can talk a little bit about millennials here. Like millennials are researching. They're so educated and they're coming into a lot of money. They're into experiences. So if you can make a beautiful experience for them, they'll really be quite receptive to it. So you at this point in time can have a customer who's going to spend with you for the next 30 years, 40 years, or even 50 years. And, you know, a dream I know a lot of my designers have is to spend with you over generations Mm -hmm. where they are, you know, bringing their grandchildren in to, to work with you. Um, So it's really creating that system that keeps customers kind of in your world, top of mind, really over their lifetime. This all sounds amazing. I'm loving it. But at the same time, I'm thinking for someone who is not very organized and is maybe more (laughs) a creative brained person, and I know people like this, it sounds like a total, like (laughs) a huge challenge. So I I mean, when you're working with someone, do you do this stuff for them? Do you set up a system for them? Do you give them recommendations for setting up a system? Like how can someone who's not naturally organized make this work? Yeah, no, and that's totally it. And like the whole, the whole thing is based on having spent so much time in jewelry studios and knowing what goes on there, knowing how pulled in directions they are, how many sticky notes are everywhere, you know, um, notebooks and notebooks and notebooks. Oh, I forgot my notebook. So yes, we create a full out system uh, to keep track of this that can grow with you. So we start really small, again, looking at those top clients, really matching the message, hitting send together. So making sure those messages get out. And then, yes, we build out like a totally beautiful system for them to really organize. You know, I work with a lot of designers myself, not just brick and mortar. So we actually, if they're doing, I work with a lot of people who do custom. So we would actually create, okay, what does your custom process look like? What touch points do you have before the sale? What touch points do you have after the sale? And we actually go through and templatize emails that would go out, you know, of course you have to personalize it, but you have the templates to move conversations forward. And then you are reminded basically of these milestones. So it's not like you have to remember, Oh, I haven't reached out to, you know, this person in three months. What should I say? You're never staring at a blank screen. You're always having, you know, what to say, when to say it just right in front of you. So again, it becomes this, this thing where you can just sit down at your computer and 20 minutes later, you've done this client concierge right away. Is it a a type of software system that you use or do you have different solutions for different clients based on like what they're already using or is it like a proprietary solution? It's a, um, it's a proprietary mixed with some, you know, pretty common software and it's like, um, it goes from, you know, there's a free entry level all the way up to really enterprise that I work with my clients on. So it really can go, you know, it can grow with my clients, which is what I really appreciate about it. What we also then do is like, look at, all right, how can we, we've kind of figured out how to get your existing clients back in. How can we get them to bring more referrals? 
So how can we get them to, you know, come back in and bring their friends? And then from there, we'll look at, you know, okay, now that this has happened, how can we amplify everything? So, you know, maybe it's paid advertising, maybe it's mass email marketing, you know, do you have a message now for more people? Um, But it's really kind of working backwards and, you know, flipping kind of the traditional funnel on its head. What are some of the most common mistakes um, besides a lot of what you've said and not taking advantage of reaching out to um, past clients, some common sales and marketing mistakes that jewelry brands make in your experience? Yeah. So I would say like kind of to bring it back to, to my very first experience stepping into the, you know, e-commerce kind of arena was I think so many times we have like an, if you build it, they will come mentality, be it if you are online or a brick and mortar. So like investing so much time in a website, for example, and having that be really, um, where your time and effort and money is spent, you know, taking 600 photos and editing them all and descriptions and, you know, website projects can become quite costly for sure. And then, you know, the example I have of my own experience was we spent a year plus creating a website and um, we're like, oh my gosh, we shouldn't launch it on a Thursday. It'll be so busy over the weekend. Like we won't be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. Like that was not the case. We hit go, you know, we opened the website and no one knew we were there. We were like a (laughs) desert island with no uh, traffic, no signs. So I think we need to like start to think beyond just, you know, now having a website is kind of like having electricity. It's um, a baseline expectation that you have a website. You know, I think that it needs to be simple and professional and easy to navigate with some beautiful photos. There's no doubt about that. But I also think that the real goal, if you sell fine jewelry and you aspire to sell more fine jewelry online, is to make sure your website opens up a conversation with you. Like it's the goal of the website is rarely for someone to hit buy. You know, eventually you'd love to get there. Um, and that's where repeat clientele really comes in. But it's how can you get your existing clients or your new people who've come from Instagram, who've come from Facebook, to not just abandon a cart but to ask a question about why they were going to abandon the cart, to ask, can this be modified? Does this come in my size? Like there's so many questions when we go to buy jewelry, again, kind of quote unquote online, that people will always ask a question, even if it's just for kind of a, um, a pulse test of, are you there? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. is, is this legitimate? Are you real? Is this actually 14 karat gold or is this for May? Is this you know, are these real rubies or are they fake rubies? Is this a diamond or a lab grown diamond? Like there's so many questions I'd say in our industry overall that um, when people think of shopping online, they have these questions. So I always think of a website instead of, you know, you don't want it to be like a soulless shop that people just walk through and leave. You want them to start to interact with you. So I really would say that's like the biggest thing I see or like the biggest really easy way for people to improve their sales is to make their website more sticky and be opening conversations and then have a way to track those conversations and make sure you're responding to them and not, um, you know, kind of not losing that thread as well. Yeah, those are all really good points. And I would say I see the same thing, the if you build it, they will come mentality. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't really blame them. I think platforms like Shopify, Shopify's goal, the reason they make money is because they're selling the if you build it, they will come Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they make it seem so easy to set up an e-commerce shop. And it is easy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that 
you know, people are going to come and buy things right away. And I love also kind of building on on what you said on the questions that you should be asking about what customers are going to be looking for when they come to the site. I love giving the exercise of telling the business owner to be more aware and mindful of their own online shopping habits because Mm. they're probably very typical and will match, you know, what the customer is looking for. So like the next time you're going to start doing your research for making a purchase, what are the things that you're looking for? How many sites are you going to? What about a site makes you want to buy there versus another site? How many times do you go to that site before you actually purchase? How about <laughs> you putting something in your cart before you're actually checking out? Like, I can't even tell you every day how many times I add something to a cart and like never click buy. But when I do, there's a reason for that, you know, and just I think having a little more self-awareness will help you like translate that to your own online store. It's so true. And I think like, you know, if I think about that, I'm like, I'm such a researcher. So I'm going to read reviews. I'm going to see if there's like third party validation. um, If there's bloggers writing about you, you know, so that's really where if there's social proof, like, and um, because I sit behind the scenes of so many jewelry brands, and I get to like, basically read through their email inboxes. I can tell you that the questions are pretty much all the same. Hey, could I see this on a person? How does this look in scale? Like, do you have a video of this? Um, Can you, you know, what, can this be made in different sizes? Like those types of things are so, so important for your website as well. But it's also, um, you know, just what you're saying. It's understanding, you know, how your your ideal customer, your dream customer is really making their purchases, um, you know, again, quote unquote online. But it's really most of the time going to be either through a DM conversation that the sales closed, through, you know, a phone call that the sales closed or um, through email that really, you know, the sales closed for these higher end purchases, certainly, you know, for lower end and, you know, I would say, you know, 200 and below people are just hitting the buy button and that's really amazing. You know, people go to your website, they click around, maybe they add to cart a few times and, you know, kind of, you need to figure out what's happening there, what questions are not being answered. And then they click buy to, you know, to complete the purchase. But the finer and the higher end you get, the more money is at stake, especially for first time buyers, the more you should expect and actually welcome um, having those conversations. So we met in person at Jewelry Ecom Live in Miami a few weeks ago, and you were also a speaker there, a presenter. And I, I really liked your talk, and I want you to um, maybe explain the topic that you spoke about and give, give us some highlights and takeaways from your presentation for people that, that weren't able to attend. Yeah, of course. And I loved your talk too. Um, that was so fun to, to get together and really work with like the, you know, the, the audience was brick and mortar retailers, which was such a fun, fun audience to chat with. And what I was talking about was, um, how to use high tech without losing the human connection. And that's, you know, really where I've come, you know, again, through my career, I was more on the, let's just drive more traffic to your website. And now I've really stepped back into, okay, we don't need more traffic, actually need more sales. And how do you make more sales by being a friendly salesperson, by being, you know, a person who's showing up to their shop and interacting with the people who are, you know, virtually walking around it, coming to trunk shows, coming to events, really seeing people and understanding their questions so they can buy jewelry. So I really think the new customer journey is important to keep in mind. I think a lot of modern 
sellers, so modern people selling jewelry, feel really frustrated by the capricious new buyer, you know, be it the millennial buyer or anyone modern, because it now feels like, as we're saying, abandoned carts can kind of be the bane of an online uh, seller's experience. Like, oh my gosh, one of my clients right now is $14 million in her abandoned cart. Um, she's had, you know, a lot of sales as well. A lot of sales have come out of it. What was that? That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot in her abandoned cart. She has a pretty high average price point, but it still represents a lot of sales. And it's not this question, like, you know, we don't need more people in our stores. We really just need more buyers. And I think the modern buyer right now really represents that where they are kind of coming online to browse, abandoning a cart, coming back a few days later, you know, if you have a brick and mortar, if you have like a trunk show, they might come meet you in person, but maybe they are look all distracted because they're on their phones because they're researching on their phones while they're actually with you, um, which feels just like they're not paying attention to you. Um, And then you answer all their questions and then it feels like they ask the exact same questions because they weren't paying attention. So it feels so much more circular than it ever has because we used to just have less options, right? We could we would have to go to Filene's or, you know, go to the local boutique down, downtown, go in and we'd either make a purchase there or just not purchase the thing. But now when we can say, okay, I like it, but maybe we go home or we go, you know, get in our car to furiously type in re- Amazon reviews or, you know, read other reviews or can I get it for a better price elsewhere? Like all these different reasons now, it just looks so much different. So really during this talk, what I talked about was like buying signals have just changed. Now it's actually a great thing if someone abandons a cart, if someone leaves your store, if someone doesn't purchase right away, now you get to open up a conversation with them and start to understand why, you know, what were they looking for a different size? Did they not understand how the shipping process worked? Um, Were they looking for a different color combination? Did they want to know if you could make three of these the exact same thing because they wanted to give them as gifts? all these different questions now, it's like the start of a conversation versus feeling like the sale is closed when a cart is abandoned or when someone leaves the trunk show without buying. So I think it's really understanding um, and remembering that there's a human behind all these things and not losing that, that human connection. It's very old school. And again, because I spent so much time in antique and estate jewelry, I'm always, and work with lots of multi-generational businesses. I'm always thinking of, okay, what's old is new, right? Like what did your what did your grandparents do? What is really like represents just old school customer service and how can we bring that into the modern digital age? That sounds great. I love how you kind of put a spin on the abandoned cart situation that instead of like being upset about it and wondering why you can look at it as a, as a positive opportunity. I think that's so smart. Totally. And I actually encourage my clients to be notified of their high value carts. So say, you know, again, for their whatever their business is, um, whatever represents a high value cart for them, be it, you know, some of my clients, again, it's, if someone abandons a $30,000 cart or more, I'm going to interact with them. If someone abandons 600 or more, I want to be notified. So you can say, you know, Hey, um, you know, I noticed you just abandoned the, um, bangle bracelets. You know, these are some of my favorite bracelets. I actually handmade them to order, I've got a video of one. Do you want me to send it over? Or do you want to hop on a phone call? Do you have some questions? You're starting to open these conversations with them. And yeah, it's totally great. Like I love when carts are abandoned because it showed intent to purchase. And now we just need to understand what held them back um, from purchasing. 
So we've mentioned millennials a few times in this conversation. I think we both actually are millennials. Yes. <laughs> we're talking about them as if they're like some other. I know. <laughs> we know them the best. <laughs> we know them well. Yeah. So why, I mean, millennials get kind of a bad rap and they get made fun of a lot. And I think especially like older and more legacy jewelers, they may be a little bit hesitant to reach millennials just because they may not understand them or they hear about their weird shopping habits. Why should they care about reaching millennials? I mean, why is that such an important generation to tap into? I mean, it's so great. And um, I love that question. And I think you're right. A lot of legacy businesses feel a little bit nervous about their kind of capricious habits and their like annoying behaviors and they're always on their phones and it doesn't feel like they're paying any attention, but they are. And they are wealthy. Like, I think there's also this kind of bad rap that millennials have that they live at home with their parents and they're (laughs) grounding under college debt. And, but they're by 2020. So next year in three months, um, the stats are $1.4 trillion in spending will come into their hands. These guys are um, out, out of college, right? They're way out of college. Like, I just feel like people are kind of into like older stats about millennials and haven't caught up that now these are mainly 30 plus. Mm-hmm. They have families. Um, the millennial female population is on track to be the single most educated population in history in the United States. Uh, so that's pretty fantastic that they're hugely that's- educated. Yeah. And they're expected to account for 30% of sales in the U.S., uh, you know, upcoming. And also, as we were talking, they're at the start of this long buying cycle. I, I work with a lot of jewelers, especially more legacy jewelers, as you're saying, who are like, oh, you know, I've got my my Rolodex, my little black book of people who come in again and again, and they buy. And they're, you know, 55, 65, 70. It's like, okay, that's great. We love that. Are they bringing in their children? Are they bringing in their grandchildren? Like, what's your plan as, you know, this this new population becomes really the main main shoppers? And I think the millennial, two things about the millennial, I think that are very cool. And we can say again, millennials, Gen Y, like the next generation, you know, native digitally, if we want to more say, like, that's the delineator. Mm-hmm. Is that this, it's like generation me, And I think an older kind of population would think that it's like a very self-centered generation, but you can use this for your advantage if you're a designer and you just get to kind of play into it. And these guys will be your content creators. You know, if you sell a really cool bridal piece or you sell like your favorite set of earrings or one of your favorite necklaces and you keep up with that client, you keep up with that sale and you start to say like, Hey, where are you wearing it? How are you styling this? Like, could you send me a video, a video of your engagement or could where are you wearing this? What do you do? Send me your best outfit, you know, your outfit recommendation. Can, can we have you create a little piece of content for Instagram stories? And all of a sudden they've shared that, like they're the center of, they're the center of their universe, right? But now they're the center of your universe. And now they're sharing what's really cool that they've created with their people. And I just think because the millennial, is really into experiences and creating and sharing and capturing memories. There's so many ways as a designer, you can have this be actually part of your really high-end brand is you are facilitating this. So you have a beautiful sale experience before they even buy from you. And then after the sale, you have this beautiful experience with, you know, really cool touch, touch points. And then you've just have these clients who are super loyal to you because, because you've had a great experience with them. 
Those are all such great suggestions. And I think also, too, people are craving more interaction with brands. I mean, I think a lot of us might say, "Mm, you know, I'd rather not go to the store and talk to a salesperson. Um, But deep down, if someone really takes the time to ask you a personalized question, it's going to be a little bit surprising and cool because you're not used to not used to that kind of interaction. So I totally. we want that more than we actually <laughs> let on. And I think, you know, I always think of that and like, that's a big, you know, you know, you and I could talk for so long about these specific kind of examples, but that's it exactly. Like I think people, and that's why this feels so fresh to the millennial audience. Whereas, you know, the baby boomers or um, what do they call it above baby boomers? They're like, I know like the silent generation. Mm-hmm up, 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 up to them. Like, this is, of course, like, this is exactly what their entire retail experience has been. But now, you know, when you think of all these purchases, oh, I'm looking for a pair of shoes and you're, you know, at Nordstrom's and no one's there to help you. You're like, I just want help. Like, I kind of like these, but I'm going to an event and I have some questions and, you know, I just need someone to help me. So just really thinking of that experience, like how can you be really proactively guiding people towards, you know, really understanding their questions and, and um, acknowledging them. So Kathleen, what's your favorite client success story and why? Oh, this is so fun. So, you know, I think I've had a few or I've had a lot of really fun, fun client wins, especially once we start doing this type of thing. So, you know, I have one client, um, Christine Lupo, and she's a private designer. She actually had a brick and mortar store that she ended up closing and now does like private by appointment only jewelry. So she does some custom, she'll like, you know, acquire things from other people. And, you know, at her heart, she's a designer. So she does do some designing as well. So we worked together and in the first 30 days, she added $14,000 to her bottom line and um, had over $75,000 in new business in her pipeline. And those were all from either existing clients or referrals from her existing clients. So that wasn't with any paid advertising, you know, anything beyond her own network of people. So, you know, I love that example because it shows you that even, you know, she hadn't had her brick and mortar store for that long. A lot of these contacts, you know, she was the one who actually um, had a piece sell that she hadn't, you know, reached out for quite a long time with. And, you know, I would say what I love about this example is that she, um, she used what she had. She like really looked at her old records and I think she even had her daughter type up like all old because <laughs> everything was paper. Um, <laughs> so she went through kind of combed through entire, you know, her entire career. And I, I would imagine a lot of the designers have the same thing. Maybe they've shifted how they've been working. Um, maybe they're just getting started, but you you have more than you think. Like, I almost feel like sometimes I'm like a cheerleader for the industry of like, listen, you've got really great things already. If we just look at your gold mine, there's stuff there. Like you're sitting on it. You just don't even know. So that's what I love about this story with Christine is just, she, you know, refocused on her existing clients and potential referrals from those clients and now has a hugely successful business. She's able to quit her side job and, you know, go full-time into her, um, her design and private jewelry business. So I love that example. That's awesome. Yeah. Really, really fun. And then, um, Walton's jewelry, which is an antique jewelry, they had a really big sale, like a a five figure mid five figure sale over Facebook messenger. And I love this example because, um, I think people again think, oh, I can't sell that fine. You know, $20,000 plus $30,000 plus without someone coming to see it 
or me sending it to them or all these different things. But really you can, I see it happen, you know, literally behind the scenes of multi-million dollar businesses. I see this and again, it just looks different than you think, you know? So this was a really beautiful conversation that she had where she sent over a video and said what she loved about the piece and then offered to um, FaceTime if the client wanted to. And that was enough to build trust to actually close that sale. So I love that example as well. And she's up actually 7% over her best year right now for this year. So it's really, really fun to be working with her um, to see some of these successes. And that's like a micro success within within that. And then, you know, I've had clients who, who I have a client who had a 4,920% increase in revenue um, year over year. So that's just amazing. And a 42% increase in average order value. So just really, you know, by implementing like these strategies that are just more attuned to showing up to your shop and actually, you know, seeing what you already have in front of you, responding really beautifully to the DMs you're already getting and shifting from like the search for more and more and more into actually cultivating what you have and really tending to it and making sure it grows. Um, you know, we've just seen such success with, with a lot of my designers and brick and mortar locations. So what kind of jewelry brands do you most enjoy working with? It sounds like you work with a huge variety. Do you have a favorite or like a situation that you like coming into? Yeah, my favorite situation that I love coming into is that they are already kind of bought in on a base level to they want in um, this could be either they want to have like really grow a few key relationships with their wholesaler. So this doesn't, you know, we've talked mostly about direct to consumer examples, um, but this could certainly be with their wholesale accounts or their, you know, direct to consumer accounts. They really are kind of, they understand like the, the difference between vanity metrics versus sales. So they kind of have already said, okay, like maybe they've given up, like they've put up their hands and they're like, you know what? I understand if I get this many Instagram followers, it doesn't necessarily mean sales. What I really want is more sales. So I can do X, right? Like I can spend more time with my children. I can spend more time on the jewelry bench. I can go back to being an artist and like put down my business hat every once in a while because I know the sales are rolling in. So I really love working with, um, you know, again, high-end designers, like this strategy works best if you have a fairly high price point. It doesn't have to be, you know, 100K per average order value, but certainly that 1,200 and above really are the clients I love to work with because um, at that point, order can represent a big chunk of income. So you have almost the luxury to have this like longer tail experience of, of working with them and cultivating a really beautiful experience before the sale. And then certainly after the sale as well. So what do you, what would you say your clients like most about working with you? I think what I bring to the table is I've sat behind the jeweler's bench. So I really deeply understand them. And I've spent the last 10 years working with designers so I really understand, and I try, I want this to be one myself. So I really understand that creative impulse and how, as you're saying, it can lead to disorganization. It can lead to, you know, not having a system or a strategy to, you know, follow. They're kind of rule breakers, system breakers type people in general. So I think what my clients, you know, kind of the overarching feedback I get is they really appreciate that I can like see their potential before they can even see it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also that I've got a plan to get them there, that it's not, you know, just do this. Good luck. But it's like, (laughs) here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to set it up. Here's when you'll get reminded to do it. 
because I like understand one of the designers I worked with. She's like, I just have so many tabs open in my brain. It's like, I totally get that. Like, I'm not just adding something to your plate and saying, you know, post on Instagram every day. I'm saying, all right, let's do these strategic actions that can lead to more money. Once you have more money, let's layer on this. And then when you have more, you know, you really understand the lifetime value of your clients, let's do this. So I would say, um, you know, people really like that it's intuitive, like it's kind of obvious stuff they know they should be doing. And we actually help them make it happen and implement it, implement it into the real world. That sounds like a dream. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of starting to close up here. We're already in the fourth quarter. We're getting pretty close to the holidays. It might, I mean, there might be some things people can do to kind of to ramp up last minute sales and start implementing some of the things we talked about. But I think focusing more on next year, what are some ways that jewelry brands can get started with some of these tactics starting in January? Yeah, so I have an ebook on my website. So if you visit my website, you can um, just go ahead and download this ebook that goes through more specifically these strategies, um, specifically around millennials, kind of in the new buyer. But really, in in a nutshell, I think that um, for the holiday season, it's really, you know, again, we're kind of at that last minute, mid Q4. Especially if you do anything more custom or that takes a longer lead time, maybe we're on that cusp where it's a little bit too late. But identifying your top clients, so really sitting down, clearing off your schedule, give yourself an hour to just start to dream. Be like, oh, yeah, that couple is never, they bought for me 10 years ago and they never came back. Or I sold this beautiful bridal set and never heard from them again. Or, um, you know, they were a collector for a while and I haven't heard from them since, you know, five years ago or four years ago, something like that. So really start to dream and then capture it. So start to write down names grab, you know, phone numbers, emails, and really start to build out your own, you know, database and be that, you know, I always love to think kind of good, better, best, like good is a piece of paper where this all lives better is kind of a spreadsheet and best being more of like a robust CRM system where these, this information can live for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then just do it, like just reach out to them. Like, no, it won't be perfect. No, you might feel kind of nervous, like you're bothering them but you aren't like people are really excited to hear from you. They really are. And in your mind, if you're a designer or um, even, you know, brick and mortar location, like you're a celebrity to these guys, you're an artist, you're, Mm -hmm. you're the creative, like they've, they've purchased with you. I think so much fundamentally, this comes down to why do people buy jewelry? Like we purchase it for a memory. We purchase it because we love to represent that designer. So when they hear from you, you're like a celebrity. Um, Jennifer Dawes is a client of mine and she just did a bunch of trunk shows across the U S and she um, worked with the locations to, to get the email list of all the people who had attended and bought the year prior. And she reached out to them personally and um, she had almost a hundred percent attendance at the trunk show. That's amazing. Um, I know it's, it's unbelievable. And people were so excited to hear from her. Like she wasn't bothering anyone she was genuinely excited to see her them and she got almost a hundred percent attendance because of this, this example or this outreach she did. So it doesn't have to be crazy complex. And it wasn't like a novel. It was actually a very short, just sweet email. It's not, it doesn't have to be a novel, like invite, like if you're doing some holiday trunk shows, like find who attended last year and send them an email, like, Hey, you know, Hey Sarah. Um, it was so fun to see you last year. I actually have some new designs you might be interested in, in the colorway you love. Uh, hope to see you on Sunday at nine. You know, it's just, 
and just do it, you know, do that 10 times for your next drunk show, do that 10 times for clients you haven't seen in a while, super simple and just start these conversations. And again, not everyone will respond. Maybe you won't have a hundred percent attendance, though. I will say one person drove two hours to see her. Um, Wow. It's just like people are craving this personal attention. Um, So it's shifting, you know, while the megaphone of marketing is so important at newsletters and all these things, these kind of smaller conversations and being personally invited to something um, is just so, so important as well. So that would be kind of my quick holidays. Seriously, you could do it like cheerleader edition of what you could do. before the holidays are done. Yeah. And And worst case scenario, I mean, people that are worried they're bothering someone. So what they're, what if like, they're not going to write back. Okay. Whatever. Like the world isn't going to end. No. And people love to get, you know, think of so much, so much junk mail we get and so many newsletters that just feel so unpersonal. If you get a personal message, I, you know, everyone, they're just, they're real people on the other end of the email. They're real people. Like it's just, how is like, you know, basic, 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 like treat people how you'd want to be treated. Like you'd love if a designer you had worked with remembered you and reached out to you personally. I'd love that. So yeah, that would be my suggestion there. And then, you know, thinking kind of of 2020, I think people think of January as a low sales time, but actually with some clients, I know it can be one of the higher sales times. And that's for a variety of reasons. One being um, people didn't get what they wanted. Um, (laughs) people were disappointed with how the holidays went or, you know, they're self-gifters and they took care of everyone else on their list. And then in January, they're like, ah, now I can buy myself something. Mm -hmm. Um, so that January, I think is a really fresh time when a lot of people like have stopped their marketing messages or stopped their personal communication. Like a lot of the bigger brands have spent all their money and, you know, they aren't thinking in the same kind of way. I'm encouraging you to think. So you have an opportunity to actually um, shine in this period. So, you know, I would say follow up on any holiday purchases that went out. If you sell bridal, follow up on any engagements that maybe happened over the holidays and get some pictures and get some social proof and have testimonials on your website and just all these kind of humanizing elements um, that you can really do. It's such a good point to not make assumptions about shopping habits based on time of year. I think, yeah, a lot of people believe that January slows down a lot, but you're so right. I mean, people are purchasing jewelry all the time. There are birthdays, there are anniversaries, there are other events. So don't make assumptions about that. Totally. So Kathleen, how can my listeners work with you? Where can they find you? Yeah. So uh, the best place to find me is on my website. So KathleenCutler.com. And, you know, the really best thing you can do is to either live chat me there with questions. I do have a place where you could apply to see if you qualify to work together. And um, I just am so excited because this, this strategy could be really the way that you add, you know, $100,000 per client to your bottom line. Like it's really, feel so passionate about this because it's such an important way to really grow your business for the long term, to start to look at how can you make your business really sustainable and actually work for you by making sure all of your clients are coming back again and again and again, bringing their friends into your um, either physical location or website or to the drunk shows. You know, there's so many different ways now for people to buy. So really making sure you're taking exquisite care of your best clients and encouraging them to buy over their entire lifetime with you. 
That's excellent. I know I learned so much today. I hope all my listeners learned a ton of things and that they're excited and inspired to move forward with this new outlook on sales. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on my podcast. I really appreciated all your insights. You've got it. This was so fun to hang out with you. And I hope that um, your listeners can get some of these like quick nuggets and quick wins and find their own quickest way to cash. Great. Thanks, Kathleen. Yeah, thank you. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk to Kathleen and get the inside scoop on how a jewelry brand can optimize sales. Be sure to visit her website, KathleenCutler.com, to download her ebook and follow her on social media, Kathleen Cutler on Facebook and at Kathleen Cutler on Instagram. I look forward to sharing more interviews with you. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-Commerce Jewelry Retailers.